Isn't that crazy? It's okay. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, I heard a. Uh, we'll, we'll get started off right. Uh, I heard a comedian one time say he had he had a bunch of kids and. He said, people always ask me, what's it like to have that many kids? And he said, okay, imagine that you've got four kids and you're drowning and then someone hands you a baby. That's what it's like. So that's what it's like. You guys can laugh, smile, any of the appropriate things when I tell a joke, even if it's a bad joke. Uh, just, would you just please do that. Throw me a bone a little bit. Um, I am so honored to be here. Uh, this is, for me, uh, incredibly special uh, because... Uh, of, of your pastor. Uh, when, I, when we first moved here, uh, it was, so it was about six years ago, uh, I set up, I, I came to Fredonia Hill as the college pastor and uh, tried to just set up some meetings with people that were working with college students around town just to get an idea of what's going on um, in Nacogdoches, what's going on at SFA, just really trying to learn uh, this city and our college students that are, uh, that are around. And Bobby was uh, was one of those meetings, and uh, I, I guarantee you all know where we went to eat lunch, uh, to the smokehouse. That's where Bobby lives, and uh, so we, he took me to, uh, to smokehouse, and you know, the opportunity, you know, Bobby was at that point had been a, uh, a college uh, pastor, been a pastor in, um, in Nacogdoches uh, for 24 years, 25 years. And, uh, and man, the opportunity that he had in that moment, I'm sure what he thought is, okay, who's the, the young guy here? He's going to come and tell us how to do things or whatever, you know, whatever his mentality could have been. Uh, but that wasn't who, that's not who Bobby is. Bobby took me in uh, and so graciously, and for a guy to sit there with 25 years of experience and listen to the burden that the Lord had put on my heart, for the college students in our city was incredible. Uh, and as I shared that with him, uh, and he and I began to dream and talk together. Mind you, this is our first time we, we'd ever met. And, uh, and I, I began to share that with him. Really, the, the concept, the idea of what uh, is now 24-7 uh, began. And it, and it was essentially this. There's churches all over our community that are having college worship services what would it look like if we all laid those agendas down of building our own thing and came together and in unity brought our college students together to worship Jesus as they seek to serve him on their campus? And Bob, it was an incredible thing. Bobby laid down 25 years of great escape that the Lord had, man, when he started that, man, I don't know how much history you guys have with that. When he started that, listen, there was nobody going after college students, Okay. Was, there was nobody that had this concept of let's, let's uh, envision that these college students could be the future of what drives the kingdom of God all over the earth. There, there was nobody really thinking that way. And so it was so original. And what Bobby did in a lunchtime, right, the space of like an hour, Bobby said, I'm willing to lay that down for the kingdom of God. <laughs> it's incredible. I, my mind was totally blown. And then, and man, and not only that, and then what God started and has been doing now for the last six years is incredible. We've seen some incredible things happen uh, at 24-7. But not only that, Bobby has been uh, a father to so many of us. He's pastored so many of us. He's just been an incredible man in my life, uh, in the life of my family. And so when Bobby calls and says, would you come stand in my place, first I tremble, <laughs> Because those are big shoes to fill, uh, and I'm just so honored 
Uh, and so I'm, I'm blessed to be here, excited to be here with you, excited to, to stand where he normally does and uh, deliver what he normally does, which I pray uh, is the word of God by the spirit of God uh, as we're all uh, submitted to, uh, to hear him this morning. So would you just uh, pray with me? And, and the worship team did a phenomenal job. Man, that first song, right, was, what, what were we saying? I what? What's the next word? Yeah, come on, surrender, right? We need to do that now, okay? Let's just surrender to the hearing of God's word. Let's just surrender. I don't know what you came in with, okay? I came in with some stuff. You came in with some stuff. I don't know what we all came in with, but here's what we do. We don't need to forget about it. We just need to surrender it. Like, let's not go the church hours where we got to dump all the stuff away. It's okay to bring it. Bring the stuff. Let's just surrender it, okay? Let's just surrender our heart and our mind. Let's surrender uh, to the hearing of the word. I'm going to surrender because I want my mouth to speak only what the Spirit of God wants to speak in this room. So would you just surrender with me? Let's just pray. Uh, I'm just going to give us like 15 seconds. It may be awkward in church, but we're, not, we're just going to be quiet. Is that all right? Smile. It's okay. <laughs> We're just going to be quiet, and I just want you, just wherever you're at, just to go, okay, I surrender. Just pray that again. We already sang it. Just, let's just pray it again. I'm going to give you some space, some silence, and then I'm going to pray. Well, God, we do surrender to you this morning. It is your great love and grace that compels us to surrender. Because we know that in the kingdom, surrender is the safest place we can be. We don't, we're not left vulnerable. We're not left exposed when we surrender. That the safest place that we can be is surrendered to your heart, surrendered to your will. Because you are perfectly good. And you love us and know the direction of our life in a perfect manner. And so it is good for us to be in a place of surrender. And so we do this morning. We surrender. We ask that by your Holy Spirit that you would transform us. We pray that we don't, want to, we don't want to leave here the same way that we came in. We want to be transformed, but not transformed by human thinking and doing. We want to be transformed by the move of the Spirit of God in this place because we've encountered you. How could we be the same once we've encountered you? So would you speak to us, God, right where we're at, whatever we brought in, would you speak into that situation into each and every life. Spirit of God, you're the only one that can do it, and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Balcony, what's up? I am so sorry. I didn't even see you up there. I'm in, like, right here. I'm, I will look up. I'm sorry. I didn't see y'all. All right. So let's jump in, okay? Now, they told me uh, that you guys just kind of, you warm up at about an hour, and I need to close at an hour and a half. So is that... Cool. That's, man, that's why you start at 1030. I love that. Okay. I'm just kidding. It got real quiet. Like, he, is he, I don't, we don't know him. Is he serious? I want to bring to you just a word that has uh, really, for me, been extremely personal. It's really transformed my way of thinking. And uh, as I was preparing for this, just kind of thinking, okay, I'm going to step in with a group of people. I know some of you, but, but mostly I don't know you. 
but we're connected in the, in the kingdom and what God is doing uh, is specifically in our, uh, in our city, in our area, in East Texas. God is moving and he's using so many churches to do it. There's a phenomenal move of God happening right now. And so I just began to think, okay, what am I going to bring? And as I just searched the scripture and prayed, it really seems like as you look in, especially in the New Testament, that any time there was a guest speaker, if you will, that the, the exhortation was to obedience, right? It was kind of like the, the, the new voice would come in and, and go, okay, hey, listen, keep going. Don't grow weary of doing good. Don't, don't slow down. Don't, don't be hindered in your obedience. Don't lose your first love. Like this is the, the theme of the scriptures. And, and so I thought, okay, this is, the, this is the direction that God wants me to go is just really to, it's so simple, but just encourage your obedience to Christ. If I could do anything, if I could leave here having done anything, it would be that you would be more focused today in your obedience to Christ. That you would be more energized and committed to going, yes, it is right and good for me to surrender all, give everything to him, and, and walk with him. And so that's what I'm going to try to unpack this morning is just real simply, what does gospel obedience look like? Because I want to tell you, I grew up in the church and missed it. Bad. And God has totally reshaped the way that I see obedience. And so I just want to try to, it's real simple. And you guys are probably going to go, listen, this is Holly Springs. We get it, bro. Okay. But I'm going to just try to share with you just real simply what that has looked like in my life. And maybe that will impact you. And so it's a collision of two truths. The first is found in John 15. We're going to go there, but don't panic. Okay. Everybody just don't panic. We're going to go there. Specifically, I just want to give you an overview, okay? So the first is in John 15. In John 15, there's this real famous passage where Jesus is comparing himself, right, to he's the vine and we're the branches. And he's, he's got this really Christian word in there that we use a lot, abide. How many of y'all have heard that word? Mom and dad say, you need to abide in Jesus. And you're like, I don't know what that means. We don't, know, we don't use abide very often, right? But, but this, this is where he's talking about abiding in him. And he's talking about bearing fruit. Fruit being the righteousness of our Christian life. He's talking about bearing fruit, and he tells us how to do it. And he says this really startling thing. He says, apart from me, you can do most things that you put your mind to. Oh, wait, that's not what he said. Right? What does he say? He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. We spiritualize that, and like what he meant was... Again, most things that we put our mind to, we can do. But the really spiritual things, that's when we need him. That's not what he said. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's the first part. Second part of this, where this really started to change for me, is in John chapter 5. And in John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus makes the same confession that he says to us. And he says, the son can do, it's that word again. Y'all tracking that same word what you just said out loud? Nothing. There it is. Come on, <laughs> nothing, right? He says the son can do nothing except for what he sees the father do. And in verse 20, he says, and the father loves the son and shows him everything that he's doing. So these two things are floating out in the air for me. And I'm starting to go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus says that I can do nothing. Jesus said that he did nothing except for what he saw his father do. So what does obedience look like? And here's, so I'm just going to encourage you in gospel obedience. Here's why I think that we need this. Here's why I needed this. Because for a long time in my Christian life, for years and years and years, I grew up thinking that obedience was acting like a Christian. Y'all tracking? Good Christian behavior is obedience. 
And so when I would hear that in church, when I was taught that in Sunday school and in church, and I'm not knocking my upbringing, it's incredible, but, but my mind formed to, if I'll just be a good Christian, if I'll just do the right things, that's what they mean when they talk about obedience. Anybody ever, you don't raise your hand, don't raise your hand, but look, anybody ever, right? And here's the deal, I think this is a massive problem in Western church. This is what we're preaching as obedience. Just behave well. Behave like a Christian. Read your Bible, memorize your scripture, go to Sunday school, go to church. Don't swear. Don't stay out too late. Don't drink. Don't smoke. Don't, 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 don't. And do. You better do. There's a few do's in there, right? And we call that obedience, and I can't find that in here. There's a lot of rules in here, and, and it's good things. And a lot of what I just said are things that are in here. But what we've done is we've detached all of those do's and don'ts, all the things that are good for us. What do we just read David say? That it's good for me to know your law and follow your rules. That's good for me. But what we've done is we've attached the de sorry, detached, the word is detached, right? The do's and don'ts from the inner life of relationship with God that sustains the do and don'ts. Y'all with me? And when we detach those things and we just do and don't apart from life in the spirit, the do and don't is fruitless. Because apart from me, you can do, you tracking? So good behavior not only doesn't bear fruit, it's empty in your own life. It wears you out. It exhausts you as a Christian just doing what you're supposed to do and not doing what you're not supposed to do. So if we're going to recenter on obedience, it's got to be connected to the inner life of relationship with Jesus, uh, with the Holy Spirit. And so I want to try and, and tackle that really simply this morning. Obedience first, if we're going to understand it, obedience has to have a context, doesn't it? All obedience has a context. Think about your job. We're at your place of, of work, right? Obedience has a context. Probably it's more of an authoritative context for obedience, right? Boss walks in the office, says, do this, and you do it, right? To do otherwise would be a mistake, <laughs> right? That's obedience in the context of a job. Again, it's more authoritative in nature. Think about your homes, parents. Think about the home. What does obedience look like? Well, there's some of that authoritative nature in it, isn't there? There's, there's some of that, okay, go and do, and they better go and do, because to not do would be unfortunate, right? Right? Come on, parents, like, smile a little bit. Like, that's right. <laughs> but there's also a different component in the home, isn't there? And that component is that there's this grace and there's this love that also fills out the context of obedience. And so in love and in grace in our homes and with also authority and children honoring their parents, obedience has a context. And we understand what obedience means within the context of a home. So here's the deal. Here's the question. What is the context of our obedience to Christ? What's the context? We have to know the context. In the context, I've tried to simplify it, and you may be able to say it in a much better way than I, than I can. Here's kind of what I've done. I've just simplified it. The context of our obedience is as born-again participants in the kingdom of God. I try to cover everything with just a few words there. Born-again participants, and maybe I should use something different than participants. Maybe born-again sons and daughters in the kingdom. 
That's the context of our obedience. In John 5, 19, now you can go there if you want. I want you to see this passage. This one just totally changed my life. I want you to see what Jesus says. So the context of our obedience is as born-again sons and daughters in God's kingdom. And Jesus is going to show us that obedience is relational. You with me? Say relational. Obedience is relational. Here's what he says in John 5, 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. It's important that you see a couple things. First, Jesus. Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Okay, this isn't just some Joe Schmo off the street, all right? Jesus says, I can do nothing. If Jesus is going to lay that down, if he's going to surrender in that way, what makes us think that we don't have to also? And he says, I can do nothing of my own accord, but only what I see my what? Father, you hear it? Come on. What's the word? Father. That's an important word. I do nothing on my own accord, but only what I see my father doing. Now check this out. The next verse. If you, if you just read 19, you're going to be in trouble because look at 20. For the father. Yeah, y'all reading it? Loves the son. Come on, you see, it's relational. The father loves the son, and so he shows him everything that he's doing. Because if all we had was, I only do what I see my father do, I can do nothing on my own accord, then we're left with, okay, what makes you think the father is going to show you what he's doing? What's going to keep you from being left high and dry in this surrender and obedience? Here's what it is. It's verse 20 that says, the father loves the son and shows him everything that he's doing. Jesus can completely and totally trust the father in every single circumstance. And so surrender is natural because obedience is relational from a father to a son. Y'all got it? Y'all with me? This is so fun. You should smile. <laughs> right? That's so important. Obedience is relational. Now listen to this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move. Uh, I've chatted a little bit at the beginning here, so I've got to move a little faster. Because I was kidding about that hour and a half. I'm really not going to do it to you. So you don't have to go here. But, but in John 14, now the context of John 14 is Jesus is about to tell his disciples about the Holy Spirit. This is, where, this is the passage where he says that a comforter is coming. We're going to talk about it a little bit later. But in the same in the same. Uh, Context, he says, if you, there's this word again, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, would you say, like, just give me a nod, if you, is keeping my commandments obedience terminology? Are we all agree? Balcony, what do y'all think? They're like, well, you missed us at the beginning. We're not answering you anymore. <laughs> right, you see it? So keeping my commandments is obedience terminology. And what does Jesus say to us in the midst of promising the helper who's going to let us keep the commandments? He says, if you love me. Obedience is relational. Being obedient to Christ in our lives is relational because he first loved us and we get the honor by grace to love him. So we have to see first, before we start going, okay, what am I supposed to do in my Christian life? We have to see first that all obedience in the kingdom is relational. Jesus is going to promise the Holy Spirit, and I want to look at that in a minute. But go to John chapter 3. So we've got to figure out how then do we establish this relationship where this kind of obedience can flow. It's really important that we get this, okay? 
Because that, that definition that I gave about being our context is being born again, we got, we got to grab that because that's huge. So how do we enter into this kind of relationship that allows this kind of connection of love to be the fuel of our obedience? We have to understand that. It comes through new birth, which brings us into the kingdom. Jesus isn't going to give these things up. This is where, I mean, he gets pretty serious. Like, this is the only option. <laughs> me. New birth through me is the only option. Here's what he says. So he's, he's this guy named Nicodemus. And I love Nicodemus. Man, he, has, he asks some great questions. But he's questioning Jesus. And here's the reason why he's questioning Jesus. Because he cannot comprehend what's going on in front of him. He even starts the conversation by saying, look, I know that you're from God because of what I see. Right? We've seen some crazy stuff happening. I know that you're from God because of this. Now let's catch up in the conversation. I kind of summarized the first part. Uh, okay, so Jesus answers him in verse 3. Y'all in verse 3? Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So here's what Nicodemus does. Nicodemus goes, here's what I see. This is incredible. You must be from God. And Jesus pretty much turns back to him and says, but you're not really seeing. <laughs> Don't you know that's frustrating? He, he, he turns back to him. You're just kind of like you see the result. You see the last thing that happens is somebody's eyes get opened. Or a dead guy gets out of the grave. Or somebody that couldn't walk can now walk. Or somebody in deep in sin is now freed by love. You see the last domino fall, but you're not really seeing. Because you can't really see this kingdom unless you're in it. And you can't get in it unless you're what? Born again. Y'all tracking? Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So he says... In verse 4, well, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Because he's about it. He's like, okay, born again. Tell me all about this, but I don't get it. How am I born again when I'm old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Verse 5, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Is Jesus talking about physical birth here? No. No. Jesus is talking about a spiritual transaction. That thing that was promised in the 36th chapter of Ezekiel, where he said, I'm going to take that heart of stone from your flesh. Right? I'm going, to, I'm going to peel that heart of stone out. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh, and I'm going to fill you with my spirit. That has been and always is the promise of entrance into the kingdom of God, is life by the spirit of God in us. And it comes via new birth, by believing on Christ Jesus for our salvation. This is new birth. And he describes this to Nicodemus. This is not a physical thing. This is a spiritual transaction. We talk about it a lot in this context of repent and be born again. I've got to acknowledge my sin. I've got to acknowledge my separation from God. Turn and know that Christ is the only solution for my sin, that he might cleanse me. But listen, church, it does not stop there. That is a, if that were all it was, that would still be incredible. Think about it. If all Jesus gave us was the forgiveness of sin, we would be, I mean, that's incredible. 
But he doesn't stop. This is how good he is. He didn't stop there. He didn't just go, I'll forgive you of your sin. He said, I'm going to forgive you of your sin so that in that cleansing, I can fill you with my spirit and you can know me. <laughs> right? And not know about me, but know me because I'm alive in you and we are connected like this. That's new birth. That's a beautiful promise of the scripture. And he's explaining this to Nicodemus. So this kind of relationship, the relationship, listen, that you and I are in. Look at me. If you've received Christ as your Savior, you have been born again. And the Spirit of God lives in you. And the purpose of that is for you to know God and live from Him in order that your life might bear fruit of the kingdom. Like, that's the playbook. That's the way it was drawn up. And God didn't leave that as a mystery. He said, I want to use you, and to use you, I need to fill you. Y'all with me? Note to Bobby. Tell them to smile more. <laughs> I'm playing. Y'all are doing good. So here's the deal. If all that's true, then kingdom obedience is so much more than doing what you're told. Come on. <laughs> this, I'm telling, and it's even... I even start talking about it. It's even emotional because this is freedom. So many of us are bound by this idea that, that kingdom obedience is just doing what I'm told. There's no freedom in that. And it is for freedom that we've been set free. You're supposed to be alive and thriving because of this new birth, not like huddled in a corner waiting for God to tell us what to do. Y'all with me? Kingdom obedience is so much more than doing specific things that someone says. So here's, let me, let, me, let me just maybe draw a picture. How many of you, now listen, if the answer is no to this question, do not raise your hand because it would get incredibly awkward, okay? How many of you are being obedient to the laws that govern our nation right now? You hear me? One guy's like, no, I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> Don't, right? I would hope all of you. How many of you woke up this morning and really thought about that? It's a weird question, isn't it? You're probably all law-abiding citizens. Well, I know you are. We're Holly Springs, okay? You're all law-abiding citizens, okay? None of you, none of you went 77, right? Right? Go, whatever. Y'all are like 80. They won't pull you over for more than five hours, right? <laughs> Y'all with me? You're by nature abiding in the laws that govern our nation. Why? Because you're a citizen here. Because you know what it's like to live here and be here. And so over a period of time, because you've learned that, you are now by nature abiding in those laws. Now, let me give you this example. Okay, So that's one part of obedience. All of you are being obedient right now. Congratulations. Here's the other thing. If a police officer walk in that back door and say, listen, I have instructions for everybody. Okay, what's a police officer? A police officer is an enforcer of the laws that govern our nation. And he were to give us instructions, would we listen? The answer is yes. We would listen. Why? Because we're being given the direct command to create action based on the authority of one who has been given the authority to, to uh, enforce the law. And so we would be obedient. Y'all with me? Neither of those is obedience by itself. They go together. 
And it's the same in the kingdom. Okay? The king, kingdom obedience is a lot like what I just described. And let me see if I can just tell you how. It's First of all, that inner obedience is formed in us. Now, what did I just say? That new birth requires, there's no way around this. Listen to me, there's no way around this. Sin separates us from God, and the only way back into that relationship is for that sin to be removed. Now listen, the only one that can forgive that sin is Christ Jesus. Because of his death, burial, and resurrection, he is the only way and declares it that I'm the way and the truth and the life. And nobody what? Comes to the Father but by whom? By me. Can't get around it. Wouldn't want to. It's the greatest gift of all time. And by that invitation, he asks us to become sons and daughters in the kingdom. If you'll just come to me and die, I'll make you alive again. Yeah, right? That's how we come in. That's that new birth. Part of that new birth is the filling of the Holy Spirit, okay? Remember I said we'd get back to John 14. So in John 14, verse 15, go ahead and go there. I want you to see this. Y'all are already there. Okay. In John 14, verse 15, he says, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Some of your versions may say comforter. The real thrust of that word is I kind of took it apart and studied it. That word helper is better understood as strengthener. You see the spirit as not like helper, like if you need help, call, <laughs> right? Not separated, like if you, get in a, if you get in a bind, let me know. Strengthener. He's in you, strengthening the work that you have been asked to do. Strengthening this work of righteousness that is going on in you. So the Spirit of God who is alive in you serves as a strengthener and an instructor in order for us to live rightly in the kingdom. So there's a transformation process that's happening within you called discipleship. Okay? And here's a little bit of how it works. It's, it's internal. It's, well, let's call it internal obedience. It's the kind that you're doing just naturally uh, to the laws of our land right now. It's this internal obedience. And here's what happens. The Spirit of God dwells in you. And what does Paul say in Romans chapter 12? Don't be conformed to the what? Bible drill. Patterns of the world. Right? Don't be, it's a really important word, conform to the patterns of the world. What he's saying is don't let what's exterior, your culture, these influences, don't let them become the shaper of your life. Don't be conformed by the patterns of the world, but be, what's the next word? It's a different word, transformed. By the renewing of your mind. Right? You see, see the difference? Don't be conformed. It's not this external influence that shapes your patterns of behavior. It's an internal transformation, meaning you're being left different than when you came in. That's what we prayed for. Transformation happens. What does he say? Don't be conformed to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So here's how does this work? How does this happen? Let's try to make it super simple. The Spirit of God is in you, and Jesus said that he would lead us into all truth. You ever been reading the Bible and you go, wow, that's true? <laughs> that's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> right? Has somebody that's a huge influence in your life ever said something and you go, wow, they're right about that. That's true. 
That's the Holy Spirit in you reaching out and going, that's truth, grab it, hang on to it, be transformed by it. As I read the scripture, the Spirit of God opens my eyes to see the truth of it, and I have a choice in that moment. I can reject that truth or I can receive it and this is what happens. I'm now transformed because my mind is renewed. I've agreed with what I've read or heard or prayed. Y'all with me? And then I'm transformed. Now I begin to think differently. I begin to think according to the truth of the kingdom. And imagine if I do that a hundred times a day. What's going to happen? I'm going to be different. (laughs) You can't get in a room with the Holy Spirit and this word for 24 hours and not come out different. Well, you can. You can reject that transformation. Sorry. (laughs) But if you'll just go, okay, what's the truth of this word? And as the Holy Spirit just opens our eyes to truth and we receive truth, if we go, okay, I agree with that and I'm going to live by it, then we get transformed. And I promise you, you're not going to go out of that space and go rob a bank. This is the absurdity of behavior modification Christianity. That we tell people this is what you should do and not do without telling them how to be transformed. And if we're not transformed, behavior is going to last just a short amount of time, isn't it? The content of my person needs to be reshaped. Quit worrying about the do's and don'ts. I know that freaks some of you out. Quit worrying about the do's and don'ts. Focus on this transformation that's happening in here. Focus on the Spirit of God reworking the contents of your heart and soul. And I promise you, if you let that happen, then the natural fruit of your life will be the fruit of righteousness. Because apart from Him, you can do nothing. But guess what? You've been with Him, and He's transformed you, and now you bear fruit. Smile. That is so much better news than go do this, do that. That set me free. Okay, so that's that internal obedience. Now, we want to be careful because we don't want to leave that alone. The reason I emphasize it a lot is because I think it is the great unknown of the spiritual life in the Western church. So I spend like tons of time on it because we're not talking about it. We're not discipling people in that internal connection and life with the Holy Spirit. And because we're not doing that, it's just, that's my soapbox, okay? So I'm going to say a little bit about external obedience because it's part of it. But we need to work on this internal thing, okay? All right, so external obedience is kind of those moments where God says, get up and move, and you better get up and move, okay? Do those happen? Yeah. And typically what I've found is that's actually what we pray for the most, right? And we, it kind of comes off in some, I don't know how you say it, but I work with college students a lot. Here's how they say it. God, what do you want me to do with my life? That's a big question for them. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? But I've actually found they're not alone. We ask that question as well, don't we? What do you want me to do? And it can get really small. Like, what do you want me to do in this situation? And it can get really big. What do you want me to do with my life? Okay? We're, most of our prayer life is aimed at that kind of obedience. God, what is the action? And that's good. And God works in that way. But I want to tell you that It's the internal process of hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit on the inner man that enables us to live rightly in that external obedience. Because if all of you, I don't know most of you, if all of you were to start talking right now in this room, I could not distinguish one voice from another because I don't know you. 
You with me? And because we've disconnected internal and external, and all we're really wanting is God to speak to us in the clouds, right? God, show me what to do, <laughs> right? We don't recognize his still, small voice because we've never focused on what it sounds like in here. And so out here becomes really, really difficult, and we end up depending on a lot of things that are not God. You with me? So those things have to be married. Those things have to go together. And I promise you, as you concentrate and focus on the inner man, on the spirit of God speaking and moving in your life on the inside, you will be more prepared and ready to hear him speaking in an external way because he does do it. But the majority of the time I've found the way that God's speaking in my life is internal. You with me? All right. And this external obedience is our fruit. So our our behavior is the fruit. Like what we do with what God is doing in us is the fruit. And let me tell you this. You're going to be judged by it. And that's what the scripture says. The measuring stick is the doing. And maybe that's why we've gotten so uptight about it. We're like, okay, this is how we're going to be judged, so we better perform, 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 perform. But the problem is our performance, absent the work of the Holy Spirit in us, is not fruit at all. The scripture says it's filthy rags. There is no good that we can do apart from him. So if it's not born of the spirit of God in us, then regardless of what ma how man weighs in on it, it's not good. Because that which is not of faith is sin. Okay? Y'all with me? All right, and here's the, I'm just going to close with this. If this is going to happen, this internal and external obedience, if this is going to play out in your life, I hope you're encouraged. Nod, even if you're not, like, just let me leave happy, okay? <laughs> All right? If this is going to play out, we've got to sing that first song again. I'm not, like, telling you to change your set. That's not what I'm doing. Worship leaders love it when we get crazy and then, like, go, hey, why don't you just rearrange what you were planning on doing and prayerfully seeking God for, right? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we've got to sing that again in here. You with me? We've got to, I surrender all if that process of obedience is going gonna, is gonna to take place. Because for the fruit of the Spirit to be born out in our lives, for that transformation to occur, guess what? God's going to have to be able to come in and take territory in you. Because right now, I promise you, I know it exists in me, so I can promise you it exists in you as well. We're together in this. There are things in my mind, there is ways that I think that are contrary to the kingdom of God. And God needs to get a hold of those things. But God is a gentleman. The Holy Spirit is not going to just come kick the door in of your life and make you surrender. The beauty of this relationship is that it involves your will. We get to lay it down. We get to offer ourselves as a, our spiritual act of worship. What does the book of Romans say? Is what? Sacrifice. He's not going to come take that territory in your mind. He's not going to come change the way you think lest you say, will you come change me? Will you have this territory in my mind, in my heart? Will you take this, this, maybe this obsession, maybe this thing that I long for that's not of you, will you take it? Will you so, if you don't surrender that, he's not going to take it. But if you surrender it, he will go through this beautiful process of transformation. And he doesn't just fix it overnight. He heals you completely. Come on. I would so much rather surgery from God than a Band-Aid from the world, Right? That may have made no sense, but it felt good. <laughs> we have to surrender. So that's what I want to pray for you. 
I just want to pray surrender over you because my hope here today is that if nothing else, you walk out of here encouraged to be obedient to Christ. You walk out of here focused on what that looks like. And in order to do that, for us to like go the next step, because let me just tell you, I don't, I don't believe that God is just doing a great work here in this room because he is. But I've seen other rooms in East Texas that the presence of God is filling and doing miraculous things. And you know what it makes me think? Maybe God's up to something. That, right? I'm watching like pastors and people just lay down their agendas. Unity is happening. And I'm going, May, God's changing radically college kids' lives. When God begins to blow up the next generation, you better know something's coming. When they give themselves to prayer right, and to worship, you better know something's coming. So something's coming. Let's be part of it by surrender. God is moving in this area in a mighty way. Let's be part of it by allowing him to transform us, to change us, to surrender. Can I just pray surrender over you? Yeah? Fair? Let's nod and smile one more time before I pray. All right. God, we just ask right now that all of us in this room, I, I, whatever we came in here with, whatever that looks like, that we would surrender. Because some in here need to surrender for the first time. Some have been maybe believing that, that for the entirety of their lives that they've been a good person. And therefore met the standard. And the reality is that none is good but God alone. And today is the day to surrender everything. To turn my life over. To surrender God and let you forgive of sin. To let the person of Christ come and live and dwell in me in the Holy Spirit. To be restored in my relationship to God. If that's anybody in this room, God, I pray now that they would have the courage to respond to your offer of grace and surrender. And for those of us in this room that have surrendered our lives, that are born again and full of the Holy Spirit, God, I pray that, that each and every day would be marked by a greater measure of surrender to your will. That we would say, God, whatever you want in me, whatever you want in my mind, in my heart, whatever you want in my actions, you can have it. God, I surrender everything to you. All of it is yours to be used in the kingdom. And God, I pray that in our surrender, we would continue to see a mighty move of God in this area. And we pray for those who are outside of these walls, who don't know you, to come to know you because of the surrender and the work that you've done in our lives. Would you use us to bring the lost to you? Would you use us to heal broken hearts and bring freedom to the oppressed? And I just pray blessing over this church. What a wonderful place. And I ask God that you would bring provision in this house where they need provision. God, bring finances where there's finances needed. Bring people where there's people needed. God, just would you provide in a way that could only be described by your work in this house. And I thank you for their obedience to you. In Jesus' name, amen.